Fun fact, some of the oldest marketing in the world can be found on mosaics in the ruins of Pompeii, and they're nearly 2,000 years old. It's time to bring two millennia worth of lessons on marketing to bear. Welcome to CMO Combo. But while that intro was looking at ancient history, we're keeping things cutting edge on this episode as Jim Krause at the Biopersona Institute is with us to show how modern biopersonas can tackle modern marketing problems. Stay tuned as we discuss how a decision-based approach to biopersonas can take things to the next level. Hi, Jim. Welcome to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Will. Well, it's it's great to have you here, Jim, because it's a it's a very important topic for our audience, and that's the the topic of biopersonas. There's a lot of ideas around what they need to look like, what they should be doing. But I'm really hoping you can clear this up because as we're about to dive into with your background, you're probably the expert to be talking to about biopersonas. So without much further ado, Jim, could you tell us a bit about bit about your background and why this topic was something that you really wanted to talk about on the show today? Yeah, so I have a 30-year a background in marketing and market research and really developing insights to help marketers and sales professionals and product folks make better decisions based on just understanding the market and their customers and their prospective buyers better. In a nutshell, that is my career. And I've done it in different different organizations, both on you know larger organizations as well on the consultant side um, and had a lot of fun in both, quite honestly. But that's been really my main focus throughout my career. Excellent. Excellent. So, Jim, this probably is a very basic ex- um, question to be asking someone like yourself who's an absolute expert, but I feel like it's one that does need to be asked because, as I said, there are a lot of misconceptions and there could be some misuse of buyer personas, but what are they for? Like, what duties should they be performing in a CMO's toolkit? Yeah, I mean, we, we need to set the bar really high for buyer personas, um, and we'll talk more about why, but fundamentally, I think the best place to start this conversation is if your buyer personas are not a foundational component that informs just about every marketing and sales decision that you're going to make, then there's other ways to approach buyer personas that might give you those insights. Um, so that that's just as a as a starting point. That's why they're so into they're really foundational. I mean, they're the foundation of the house, so to speak, right? They're going to help guide a lot of different things that you do. Um, and as we talk here today, I think that'll become pretty self-evident in terms of how we define what a buyer persona even is and what it's not. Definitely, definitely. So let's talk about how people are usually approaching buyer personas. Like, how are they developing them currently? That and is that method effective? Like, I know there's a lot of different ways going, but in terms of your experience, what's the what's the main way that people approach developing buyer personas for their brands? Yeah. So traditionally, a lot of people think about buyer personas when they hear the word buyer personas, or they have an expectation about what a buyer persona is going to look like. Generally speaking, a lot of folks will think about them in terms of profiling a particular individual or role in a, in a in a buying decision, whether it's a consumer buying decision, a business buying decision, whether it's a transactional or more complex buying decision. Typically, the traditional way of viewing a buyer persona is it's a fictional avatar that describes characteristics of an individual, of a role. So, for example, if you're a you know, you're selling technology products, right? It might be what is our buyer persona for CIOs? And we might have information on that CIO about here's their average age and education, and here's their overall priorities and challenges, and just, you know, descriptions about them as individuals. Um, that is traditionally how people think about buyer personas more times than not. Um, there's what we're going to be talking about today is more of a modern buyer persona. 
And these are buyer personas that really develop, you provide insights about the actual buying decision that people and organizations make. And there's a huge difference, right? The, the buyer personas we're going to talk about today are really going to give you everything you need to figure out how do you best influence buyers, um, the buyers that, that you're trying to influence that are making the same buying decisions that you're trying to influence. How do you best influence them rather than just describing characteristics of them as individuals, really trying to understand the totality of the buying committee, um, if you will. So those are, you know, one's an audience-based buyer persona, which is the first one. The second one is a buying decision-based buyer persona, which is really uh, much different and much more valuable. Definitely. Um, and, and it's going to be very interesting navigating the differences between them, because as you said, like audience-based personas tend to be the norm. And I think there are a lot of potential pitfalls with taking that approach. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the jaggedness principle. Um, yeah, I'm going to explain it to the audience just um, really briefly. Basically, the idea is that if you take an average of something, when you get that that median, that average, it's not necessarily going to be representative of any single person within that category or any single data point within that category. Um, there was an experiment done in Australia where they um, surveyed all the women in Australia to try and create the the average Australian woman. And when they created that profile, there wasn't a single person in Australia who matched that profile at all. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at your buy personas as your average customer, it's likely that persona doesn't match anyone within your audience. And I think that's where this idea of taking that decision-based approach, we're looking at what is actually going to cause people to move through the funnel rather than thinking about in terms of demographics or age or firmographics even. Like it's about where are they in the funnel and what's going to move them to the funnel next stage of the funnel? Yeah, it, it's true. And one of the things I always say to when I have the opportunity to talk to marketers, um, which is pretty frequently, and you know, I, I just take a pause and I say, let's think about what, what are you actually trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And at the very base level, what you're trying to do is you're trying to influence a buying decision, right? You're trying to get prospective buyers to consider you to take a look at you you're trying to get prospective buyers to um take uh, to start considering you even more and keeping you in the set of possibilities and the alternatives that they're looking at you're trying to influence them so that they ultimately select you right so you're trying to impact a buying decision so it makes sense if you think about your buyer personas what do you want to do? You want to get buying insights about that buying decision because that's what you're trying to influence, right? I mean, there's people involved, right? Of course. And people are at the crux of your buyer persona and how you collect these kinds of insights. But that's what you're trying to influence, a buying decision, not just some role that is probably involved in a whole bunch of different things, right? You want to get really focused on the buying decision that you're trying to, that you're trying to impact. Definitely, definitely. So when we were discussing like the topic for this episode, and when we were, you explained to me sort of these audience-based decision models, you described those modern buyer personas. And that says to me that it's something that hasn't been done before. It's not something that's been, and obviously it hasn't been done before, otherwise we wouldn't be having this discussion. Why hasn't it been the norm? Why haven't people taken this approach previously? Has it just been not been possible? Is it something that technology is enabled? Or is it just something we've suddenly realized that this needs to the approach needs to be approach we're taking? It, it actually it is approach that's been used for a while. So we we've worked with probably over 200 companies at this point, and thousands of marketers are using this approach. But it's 
we're still trying to get the word out because a lot of people haven't heard about it. And they, if they haven't heard about it, they gravitate towards the traditional way of thinking about buyer personas, which we talked about earlier. So the approach we're going to talk about is actually, I think you'll find it very pragmatic, very logical. It just makes sense. And it's one that has been used over and over and delivered real results. So the modern is more of, you know, that's our way of trying to say, hey, you know, <laughs> Uh, your grandfather's buyer persona, so to speak, isn't, there's another way to do it. And actually it's been going on for 10, 15 years now. And we're just trying to create, create a little bit more awareness around it so that folks know that there is another option and it's a, uh, it's an option that can work really well for them. So, so it's an approach that can be applied to a business with any kind of budget. It's not something where you need necessarily loads of fancy tech involved. It's not an approach where you need to have a huge marketing department around to be able to develop these kinds of things. It's something that an early stage startup can apply. It's something that a multinational company can apply as well. Yeah, absolutely. The key the key thing for us is, um, and the approach that I'm sure we'll talk about today is it is most pertinent for what I call high consideration buying decisions. So high consideration buying decision is uh, decisions that likely has multiple decision influencers. Um, it's likely, it doesn't have to be very expensive, but it's likely an investment that's more than a uh, dollar and a quarter, right? It's something that's going to, that requires some capital. Um, it's a, a decision that is going, that buyers are going to look at multiple options. You know, they're going to look at, evaluate multiple options. And it's likely a decision that there's some risk involved or buyers are just as concerned about making the wrong decision as they are about making the right decision. This can be for, for B2C, it can be for B2B, we do both. Um, but a high consideration decisions, what we're really talking about, this approach to buyer personas is not applicable for something that's more transactional where you're, you know, you're buying a, a groceries at the store and you're picking a box of cereal, for example, this would not be appropriate. There really needs to be a buying journey, so to speak for this to be applicable. And yes, we've done this and worked with uh, companies, um, very small companies that are involved in these kind of buying decisions as far as the product and services they sell to very, very large organizations as well. Great stuff. So let, let's let's dive into it, shall we, Jim? Let, let's talk about what these kinds of modern buyer personas are made up of. Like, what are the main components of this audience-based model? Right. So the two, the two major things to think about in this is what is included in the buyer persona? And then how do you get the insights to develop your buyer persona? So let's talk about the first piece, right? Let's just define what a modern buyer persona is. Um, there's really five things that you want in this buyer persona. And for anybody listening, I would think about a product or service or solution that, you, that, you're, that you're selling right now, right? That you're putting some marketing and sales effort investments behind, you're looking to hit your numbers with, you're looking to reinvigorate it, whatever the case may be. Um, so think about that. So there's five things you want to know about that particular buying decision, whatever that buying decision is, whatever that product or service is. The first one we call priority initiatives. And what these are is these are the triggers. These are the things that are literally getting your prospective buyers to start looking for your particular product or service at this moment in time. What is the thing? What is the event? What is the need? What is the challenge? What is the pain point? Um, what is something going on in the organization? What is the thing that's actually getting them to say, hey, we got to do something, right? Enough is enough, right? So that's the first thing you want to know. And the reason that's so important is because you want to meet your buyers where they are, right? You want to understand when you get to them, what are the things that are really going to be concerning them? And, and that helps guide what are the types of interactions and, and, and communications you want to have with them. So that's the first piece. The second one of the five is what we call success factors. 
And these are the easiest way to think about success factors or benefits or outcomes. What are the desired outcomes that they need from this particular investment? At the end of the day, they're going to be spending money on this. They're moving away from the status quo, which could be painful. What are the things that they need to be able to say after they make this investment and they get it embedded within the organization that they can say, hey, we achieved this, right? And you want to know those because those are going to, again, impact all your marketing and sales plays. Um, from messaging to case studies to thought leadership, um, you name it, right? If you know what your buyers want out of the investment, think about how powerful that is. The third one is probably my favorite, and we call it perceived barriers. The reason I like it so much, let me first explain what it is. So basically, it is all the fears and concerns that your buyers are going to have making this particular investment, right? So again, as a high consideration buying decision, there is going to be something at play here, moving away from the status quo. You wanna know what those concerns are, right? These are typically things that we find in this, this insight are things that eliminate providers. They're literally things that it's a reason a, a particular provider didn't even get considered. It's a reason a provider maybe was considered, but you know, for because of a particular concern, uh, buyers weren't comfortable because of a particular feature or something about the organization, right? And the reason that, these are so powerful is because they're great differentiators. If you know what all the perceived barriers are and your organization has an answer to them, all of them or some of them, that's a great way to differentiate yourself. Um, the fourth one is decision criteria. And decision criteria is all the questions that you can expect your prospective buyers to be asking you either directly or indirectly as they go through their buying journey from the very beginning all the way until they make the final decision. And this is middle and bottom of the funnel stuff where you've got buyers that have now embarked on looking at different alternatives, they're getting smarter. They're also maybe getting a little more anxious because some things are getting confusing as far as trying to make comparisons. These are all the questions that they're going to be asking and really making a, a decisions on as far as how they winnow down their options and how they make a final choice. Um, and then the fifth and final area is uh, buyer's journey. And these are all the steps in a typical buyer's journey for this particular buying decision or product or service, uh, all the who the key decision influences are in that, and what are the information sources that they use and trust to really inform that decision. So these five areas of insight, we call them the uh, the five rings of buying insight. Just it's just a name. What's important is these the if you know these five things, that will really inform as I mentioned earlier, a number of different marketing and sales um, levers that you can pull and really form the foundation of your of your strategy. Definitely. I mean, what I love about um, what you've just described there, Jim, is how how it really keeps the the customer or the audience as the main focus of everything all the way through. That You're not telling them what they should be doing. You are recognizing their challenges. Like, like when you go with the sort of like demographic or audience-based approach, when you're identifying a potential audience, you're basically telling them you you could well you are most likely going to be telling some people that oh you're similar to this person that means you should be interested in this product. Whereas right. in this case, you are finding people who are actually almost actively ready to look for your product. Like I think it's a it's the classic 95-5 ratio, isn't it, in, in B2B, where only 95%, 95 of your audience aren't ready to buy yet. So you're wasting your time marketing to them. Whereas taking this approach where you're looking at that, people who are ready to move into that 5%, who are in that 5%, it's more efficient. It makes more sense. And you're less likely to piss people off with your marketing to them about certain subjects. 
Yeah, and what and, and and it raises a really important point, and it's it's something I spend a lot of time on. Again, when I talk to marketers, um, I'm big into empathy, right? I mean, one of the reasons I love market and buying insights is because it's all about getting out of yourself and really understanding the person that you're trying to influence in a positive way, right? This could just should be a win-win. If you put yourself in their shoes for a minute and they're embarking on this high consideration buying decision. You have to understand that there's going to be some level of excitement and hopefulness about this, right? Because they're going to they're thinking about moving away from something that's causing them some type of pain or challenge to something that offers a better future. So there's that piece of it, but there's the other piece of it where they're going to be anxious about it as well. Um, there's a book that just came out, I think, a year ago called The Jolt Effect, where they did some some really great analysis on over a million sales calls, and they found out that about one of the key reasons there's so much indecision in the buying decision is is not because people are are satisfied with the status quo and that's why they say yeah i'm not going to do anything the biggest driver is that they're afraid of messing up you know the fear of commission as they call it right so if you put yourself yourselves in the shoes of the buyer now think about overlaying the buying the five buying insights we just talked about right now what you have the opportunity to do is you have the opportunity that when this hopeful somewhat anxious buyer starts tipping, putting their toe in the water. Now you can hit them with things that are very, very much in alignment with a, we understand you, right? We understand what you're trying to get out of this and what your concerns are. B, we've anticipated all your key questions. You may not even know their questions yet, but we kind of know that once you get into the buying journey, they're going to come up, right? We're not going to say that to you, but we're going to be prepared for that, right? So now you're starting to really build trust with your buyers. You're going to become that trusted advisor that's going to guide them through this buying decision that's going to lead them to a better path right that is a really great place to be um if you're you know when you're when you're marketing and selling your products and services so that's what you have to be thinking about um this buyer persona and the five rings of insights are a way just to make logic out of this to get you those types of insights so you can make those real deep buyer connections Definitely. So I, I can see this being that those kinds of insights being applied very effectively in terms of content, in terms of sales scripts, that kind of thing. What other things can it be utilized within a business? What other impact can it have having that kind of information? Um, we, we see folks, our clients use this for all types of things, right? So, you know, the priority initiatives and the success factors, those are the first two where I talked about what are the things that are triggering the need and what are the things that buyers want. Those are great things to use for any types of early communications and interaction touch points you have with buyers, right? So if they're just getting onto your website or you have have conversation starters for your sales folks, right? Those are great ways to connect with buyers very quickly so that immediately they get the sense of, hey, we're in the right place here, right? We're talking to this organization about what they have to offer. And it seems like they get us, right? They understand the challenges we're having. They understand what we're trying to get out of this. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna move them towards a in in the good column, right? You know, these are people. These are these are folks we should be talking more. So any kind of early on interactions and communications is is a great way to use priority initiatives and sex, success factors. Um, once you get the perceived barriers and decision criteria, that's where you want to really. That's where buyers are really getting in the weeds now, right? This is when they're becoming more educated themselves about what their options are. So we see with perceived barriers and decision cryer all types of things, right? We see um, companies developing frequently asked questions that really provide a lot of detail, right? Because when you get to barriers and decision criteria, the devil's in the detail. That's when they want to see 
something that really substantiates your claims so they can really start believing it and seeing it, so to speak. Um, we see it used in um, sales and capability pitches when you're starting to do uh, you know, detailed conversations with clients and you're starting to go through your capabilities. It's a great way to really start ticking through some of these things. And the great thing is some of these things may not even be on the minds of buyers yet because they're not educated enough yet to really realize it's important. You're going to be raising them early on and we even see a lot of our clients, the, the the shrewd ones, what they'll do is they'll talk to their clients and say, hey, we want to take you through some things about us and our solution and our capabilities. And we found within our interactions with, with companies just like yours, that these are things that um, we find are really important to them for a lot of reasons. So we want to take you through this so you have a clear view of what our capabilities are in these areas, right? And that just that does wonders because now you're again you're acting like that advisor and you're giving them some real de details about it so those things appear in messaging positioning taglines um campaigns thought leadership content all kinds of different ways those things are used um so lots of different ways is, is the answer is a long way answer to your question <laughs> i mean yeah it sounds like it can have a major impact across the boards but i guess the the next big question is jim how do you actually get all that information and insights if you don't have them kicking around? Like, how do you, especially if you're a, better, a like early stage company and you might not have access to huge amounts of customer data, how do you actually develop these kinds of insights? Like, is it just calling up loads of loads of potential customers and asking them? Like, is that one way? Or it sounds like it's um, taking a long time. Yeah. So that the way to do it is to talk to uh, recent buyers, and uh, let me just define what I mean by a recent buyer. Um, a recent buyer is somebody that has made the exact same buying decision that you're trying to influence in the past six to 12 months, ideally. And these aren't necessarily your current customers. They can be, right? But we would discourage, if possible, not to just talk to your current customers because they've already bought into you, right? So they're going to have some biases, good, bad, or otherwise. They can have some experiences with you already. Can they provide insights, the five areas I told you about? Absolutely. Um, but a better approach is to really go out and find folks that maybe not aren't your only current customers, but folks that you would want in your sales pipeline. These are buyers that um, you may have never seen that opportunity. They may have never considered you. Maybe they considered you, but they didn't select you. Um, really could be across the spectrum. Ideally, what you want to do is talk to recent buyers, because if you do that, the buyer persona that you develop is now a market buyer persona. It is based on the viable market that you're pursuing. It's not just based on your current customers, like I said, which is a bit a bit insular, just to focus on those. Um, the way to do the interviews is we take a really journalistic approach to these kind of interviews. They're typically 30 to 40 minutes. And there's only one scripted question that we ask at the very beginning of the interview. We say, take me back to the day when you first uh, decided that you needed X, and X would be whatever the product or service or solution is and tell me what happened. And from there, we just really try to understand their full buying story. The best way I can describe the interview is it's like what a journalist might do, where your main job is to take all your biases and all your thoughts out of the picture. And your whole goal in the interview is to understand exactly what happened with that buyer from that moment when they first decided all the way until they made that final decision, kind of the behind the scenes. And the way to do that is just ask questions and prompt and probe. So as an example, we might say to somebody that we're talking to, um, let's say we're talking about a CRM solution. Um, can you tell me a little bit about 
when you first decided that you you needed a CRM solution, you first started actually looking at what might be out there. Uh, what are the, some of the things that kind of pushed you to get moving on that? And they'll may give you a couple answers and, and you probe. You say, well, tell me a little bit more about that. They may say, hey, we're we're doing a poor job communicating with our with our prospects. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Right. And then they'll still they'll share more about it. And it's that's that second or third probe where you really start getting at the heart of what is going on with them. Um, and what we do in the interviews is we literally try to um, not try to we do understand through questions exactly how they first came up with who they were going to consider, um, how they winnowed down their choices. So maybe they were considering eight different alternatives and they winnowed it down to three. We asked very detailed questions to, to find out how did that happen? You know, what were the, what were the reasons for it? What information sources did you use? And that really impacted you. Who was involved in that decision? you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By the time we get to the end of the interview and they've made that final decision, we now know everything, right? We know their full buyer story. And once we complete all the interviews that we do, and we typically, for a typical buyer persona, we typically do about 10 to 12 interviews. And it's amazing how much you can learn in just 10 to 12 interviews. We look for patterns across the across those interviews, across the data that we collect from those interviews. And we categorize those into the five areas of insight I just mentioned, and it all falls into place really, really well. And that's how you go about that's how you go about doing it. Yeah, so, how many of these interviews do you need to conduct for to get a single buyer persona, for example? Or, or, or are we talk, going the wrong direction, even talking about single buyer personas? No, I mean, for again, if you want to think about a buyer persona in terms of a buying decision, right? So. You know, let's say again, we'll stick with the CRM just as an example, um, right? So there's going to be more than one decision influencer with a CRM, right? There's probably somebody from IT. There's different people from, you know, in more business roles, etc. But the CRM is the buyer persona, right? You're going to be talking to recent buyers, and it's great to talk to a mix of buyers. It's great to talk to some IT folks. It's great to talk to some marketing folks, sales folks, anybody that was involved in that buying decision, because. You're not trying to just collect their opinions about themselves as individuals. They're serving as the voice of their entire buying committee for that purchase. And you're understanding everything that happened across your organization. So for, let's say, your CRM buyer persona, typically we do about, for a buyer persona, we do 10 you know, of these in-depth interviews. Um, we will typically come out with anywhere from 30 to 40 buying insights across the five areas I mentioned, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little bit more. Um, we can always do more than that, right? So if you do more than interviews than that, the good news about that is you start getting more substantiation. We typically don't learn a lot of new things, right? Once you get to 10, we typically start hearing the same things again. The only uh, reason that we would recommend doing more than 10 is if you are doing a segmented buyer persona. And, and all I mean by that is, um, the good example would be, hey, we, we're selling the CRM software, for example, and we have one of our markets is very large enterprises. And we have another market is really small, you know, one to 50 employees type of thing. And we really think there's some differences between those two. So we will do enough interviews in each one of those segments, the smaller companies and the very large companies. We still develop one buyer persona, but we will um, highlight any differences in the buying insights by those two segments. Where are the commonalities and where there where are differences? And typically for that, we like to do anywhere from six to eight interviews per segment. So instead of 10, you may do 12 to 16 as an example. Okay. Okay. Um, and when we when you were talking about who you want to have as the subjects of these interviews, you mentioned not just focusing on customers. You want to go with a broad range of people. 
where do potential like failed deals fall into that category? Like, are, are they important, or or, or could they pers- potentially be as biased as people who bought the product as well? Like, could there be certain things that could influence their decisions that might not particularly be relevant to the buyer persona? Because I don't know the reason they dropped out is because someone didn't respond to an email on time mm-hmm. and they need to make a decision quickly or something like that. Is that something that needs to be taken into account when it comes to buyer personas? Yeah, they're great to include. So you don't want to exclude them. They're they're in the mix, so to speak, right? So when we do a buyer persona study or or an organization that you know is doing their own buyer persona study, again, the best way to do it is just let it to fall out naturally. So it's really representative of the market. So as an example, let's say there's an organization, let's just stick with the CRM example just for simplicity. Let's say their market share for CRM is really strong, right? So if we're going to go out and do recent buyer interviews, finding people that made a recent CRM decision, there's a good chance we're going to run into people that are a either a current customer of that particular organization or um, they've looked at them and maybe they've selected them, maybe they've not, right? Fail, quote unquote, a loss or a failed opportunity. Those are great, again, because we're not going in, this is not a win-loss interview, right? We're not looking to go in there and do forensics for why this organization won or lost a, a deal. We're trying to understand the totality of the buying decision so that we can bring back buying insights that will let you do a better job of winning more deals, right? So it's kind of the opposite. There's similarities for sure, but it's a, a different purpose. So um, we don't exclude or include them. We just kind of let it fall out. And usually what will happen is what we end up with on our interviews is kind of reflective of typically what that organization would see, right? So if they're, you know, if they win a lot of deals and have a huge market share, we're probably going to have more of their current customers in the mix. If they're not, if they're brand new to the market, we're probably not going to see much of them at all. If they're somewhere in between, we're going to find one deals, lost deals, deals they've never seen. You know, we'll get a mix, and that's all fine because again, you're you're ending up with a market representative buyer persona, which is really what you want. So, you mentioned as well that you want maybe like segmented buyer personas. You want buyer persona for each segment. Is that it? Is that how you decide how many buyer personas you you potentially need? Like, what is kind of the the ratio you should be looking for? Yeah, you need. A buyer persona for every buying decision you're trying to influence. That's the simplest way that that I can put it, right? So one of the things challenges that we run into a lot is that we'll we'll talk to organizations that have many buyer personas, right? They have a they're doing audience-based personas where they've got a CIO buyer persona, they have a marketing executive persona, they have an IT director one, they have and on and on and on. The challenge with that is it's first of all, it's it just gets too complex. It's too many. Um, oftentimes it's hard to have the resources to market effectively to all of them. The second problem with that is, and there's research done on this, that that actually, when you're trying to tailor your marketing and your pitches to different different roles within a buying committee, it ends up actually prolonging deals by the time they get to make decisions. It just confuses the issue. Um we rarely find major differences by role. And I know some folks are going to fall over when they hear that. But (laughs) when you get into a buying decision, I can assure you that, and there's a buying committee, sure, the different roles are going to have different maybe viewpoints and angles on things. That's valid. But you will find that in terms of how the steps they take and how they make their decisions, they all call less around the same areas, right? So if you have one of the beauties of this approach is it simplifies buyer personas rather than having seven buyer personas for your CRM offering, you just need one, <laughs> right? And maybe you do segments, like maybe there's 
you say, hey, look, the marketing folks are different from the IT folks. I just know it. Okay, do interviews with both audiences and we can see, right? And maybe there will be a few. I can almost guarantee you there'll be more commonalities than differences. Interesting, interesting. And when it comes to sort of maintaining and seeing how these buyer personas develop over time, I, I can't imagine this is just like a one and done exercise. Like how frequently you should be looking to update the information you have on on the buyer personas? Yeah, great question. It it varies, it, and it, it, but it varies for a very logical reason. So if you're uh, in a particular market where whatever your product, service, or solution is, is pretty stagnant, it's pretty mature, there's not a lot that changes, the buyer needs don't change that much, the competitors don't change that much, there's no new advancements in how buyers can address a need, it's the same kind of way, you don't need to update your buyer persona all that much, um, every few years maybe, type of thing. If you are in a market that is very dynamic, the opposite, right, where you have new entrants, you have different ways to solve something so like a, you know one of the a good example would be um cybersecurity and IT security it's always changing there's always new threats there's always organizations that have new ways of approaching security how to do it better faster cheaper more efficiently um that is a market where your buyer persona is probably going to you're going to want to refresh it every year or every couple of years at least because things are changing so much so it really depends. It really depends. And it could be that you have, if you look at your portfolio, there could be some products and services where you don't have to update your persona very often. There may be others that you have to stay on top of it uh, and update them a lot more frequently. I imagine as well, it's important to be aware of macroeconomic factors as well. Like what's going on outside of, um, say we're talking about B2B, what's going on outside of the industry that might be affecting it? I mean, the last few years have been very chaotic for a lot of businesses and for a lot of consumers as well. So being aware of that and how people's decision-making approaches change based on other circumstances got to be incredibly important, I imagine. Yeah, no question. I mean, COVID the, is the obvious example, yeah. right? I mean, the buyer persona studies that we did we did for a two-year period, COVID was in everyone, <laughs> right? Something about COVID, right? You know, mm -hmm. the the remote, you know, we do a lot of work in, in technology, B2B technology, because there's a lot of, you know, obviously there's a lot, it's a lot of high consideration decisions as an example. Um, with all the remote workers, um, you know, and the changes in how people are getting work done, um, a lot of the uh, the the health risks and how do you protect employees and et cetera, et cetera, um, that came up quite a bit. So that's just a you know an example of a a very big <laughs> macro event that had a major impact. And of course, is you know economic ones and environmental ones and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, absolutely, that's something you also need to consider. I guess that goes right back to what you were saying earlier about empathy being so important in this process. It's about you potentially being aware of the challenges that could affect them and knowing that you need to be able to get out there and ask these questions again and get in touch with both your customers and your potential customers to really get to know what's going on in their lives right now. You can't make assumptions about how people are responding to these circumstances that are going around, all this chaos that's happening all the time in the last few years. So yeah, I think it's really important to get back into the weeds, even if you maybe updated them like three months ago it's probably worth checking in again to make sure that's relevant yeah i mean one of my one of my pet peeves and i say this in a, in a very positive way is and i've been part of these i've been you know i've been on in organizations before where you're doing a messaging workshop or some type of, of exercise where you're trying to figure out messaging and you've got a bunch of people in the room and they're trying to they're taking educated guesses about what they think their buyers care about and they're not making it up out of thin air. 
but I've been in ones that they're close to making it up in thin air, or even if they are not, they're making their best educated guess. Um, you don't need to do that, right? I mean, re these recent buyers that I talk about are the experts. They've literally just gone through it, right? So take all the guesswork out of your marketing, right? I mean, if I had a bumper sticker, that would be my bumper sticker. Take all the guesswork out of marketing. There's no reason that you're spending so much time investing money and effort, et cetera, to, to do a better job of educating and influencing prospective buyers. There's no sense in guessing about what their needs are. Um, go talk to them. <laughs> they, they will tell you. You know, the other thing I'll mention while we're at it is uh, marketers, some some marketers are a little jittery about talking to to buyers. And I will tell you that we we've talked to thousands and thousands, and they love talking about this stuff because when they're talking about a recent buying decision they were involved in, a, they're not making anything up. They're not pontificating. They're not saying, hey, I think I'd feel such and such a way. They will tell you exactly what happened. Um, so they like that, right? Because it's they don't have to think that hard. Um, the other reason they love talking about it is because this was a really important decision for them, right? So it's kind of, it's interesting for them to talk it through and really kind of share their reasoning with you and kind of the things that they went through. So they end up being really great conversations and um, either if you're doing your own interviews, you get a lot of value out of them because you start to think about getting in your buyer's shoes or if you work with a company like ours that helps you with it, just reading the transcripts from the interviews, listening to the audios of the interviews, again, are just so valuable because A, you're going to be much more empathetic, as I had mentioned to him, because you're going to understand their plight. And B, you're going to really start to develop a sixth sense about what is my marketing and sales needs to look like to really help these folks and help them see that, hey, we, we're a great fit for them. I imagine it could be a really illuminating process as well in terms of like what kind of impact your product type or your vertical is actually having on people's lives. Like I, I, you never actually know what kind of impact what you might imagine is a simple tool could have on someone's life, even if it's their work life or their personal life. Like we're we're talking on Zoom right now. It's a very common Martech tool. I love Zoom. It's one of my favorite products in the world just because of the way it right. connects me with so many people. I had I have this real emotional connection with this work tool that I don't have with anything else. And I think it is because of that level of connection you can build with it. And I think having those kinds of insights available as a marketer can be incredibly valuable in terms of your messaging, your positioning, the content you're putting out, pretty much everything in terms of how you like speak to and inform your customer about things. And it, it, right. it can be, it can get rid of a lot of assumptions, I think as well. Like you, you might, realize, oh, we've been doing completely the wrong thing. But that's a good thing as well at the end of the day, because you don't want to be going off in the wrong direction. But I think it'd right. be really rewarding and like fascinating and enjoyable as well. I think the biggest compliment we ever got on the approach is we had a, um, I was talking to a CMO a couple of years ago and he was, you know, he just said to me, Jim, he's like, we feel now after they did the work and they made a, you know, they made a whole bunch of adjustments and did, did some really neat things with the insights. He's like, the best way I can describe it is, you know, before we felt like we were facing headwinds, right? We felt like what we were doing, it, we just weren't in the slot. We weren't in the groove, right? We weren't, it's not like everything we're doing was a waste of time, but since we've done the work, everything just seems a lot easier, right? It just seems like we're in this we get it. We know what they need. We know what they need to feel good and confident and secure throughout the buying decision. We know what information they need and when. We know where they go get it. So it just makes everything better. And 
you know, one of the benefits is it just from a job satisfaction standpoint from a, for marketers and sellers, it makes it more satisfying because you're, li you're literally, you're helping yourself, obviously, but you're also helping your buyers and making them feel and making, helping them succeed. So that was a really cool conversation I remember having with that CMO about just feeling like, hey, you know, we we now have wind at the back of our sails, <laughs> not in the front of our sails was basically what he was trying to say. I mean, I, that that's really great to hear, Jim. And I can, I can imagine that's that's something that a lot of CMOs need right now, considering the pressures they're under. Um, so we've given like a very broad overlook, I think. There's obviously a lot more to unpack on this subject. If someone was looking to a, a deep dive on this topic, they want to learn more about the the, the five factors, the five rings. Well, what, what resources should they look into? I, I mean, like, I'm sure they can get in touch with you on LinkedIn if they've got questions, but if there's any other resources you'd want to recommend, I'm sure they'd love to hear about it. Yeah, so um, our website is buyerpersona.com. Pretty, pretty, pretty easy to remember. Um, there are all kinds of resources there. We have templates there. Um, we we try to put out a lot of blogs just talking about this topic and the approach, et cetera. Um, we also have a master class, um, a self-paced master cl uh, class that you can take um, if you're looking to really get more into the methodology and do this yourself. Um, so I would encourage you to go there um, to get some more information. And then LinkedIn is a great uh, way to get in touch with me um, as well. I have a uh, buyer persona buzz newsletter I put out that talks about a lot of these different topics and just talks about buying insights and the buying decision quite a bit. Um, so feel free to follow me there or or buyer persona. Institute. I think we have a page as well. Um, those are probably the two two places to start. The other thing I'll mention that we're excited about is um, Adele Ravella founded this company 15 years ago, and her and I have been working since she's retired at the end of last year, but her and I are putting out a second edition of the Buyer Personas book, uh, which will be out probably July-ish next year. So um, for anybody that's really interested in this topic, um, you know, look for that, like summer summer of, uh, of 2024. Great stuff. I mean, I think it does sound absolutely fascinating. I, I'll definitely need to ch check that out when it comes out. Um, but Jim, let's let's wrap things up maybe with a like, what do you think the main takeaway should be for CMOs when they're thinking about the buyer personas? If if they were going to take one thing away from this episode, what do you think the main thing should be? Um, I think I think the main thing is to rethink buyer personas. Right, they can deliver a lot more value than you may think. Right, um, and the other. Main thing I would say is really focus on the buying decisions, right? Developing insights around the buying decision. Um, that's where all the gold is. Um, that's where you're going to get all the information that you need to make confident marketing and sales decisions. Um, and I'll add one more to it because it's worth nothing is talk to recent buyers. Um, they've got all, I don't want to say they have all the answers, but but they really do. Um, they've, you know, they are the experts here in this, right? I'm not, you're not, you know, they are, right? Because they're the ones that have actually gone through it. They can tell you all the challenges they had going through it and really what they wanted and what they needed. And it just takes it takes all the mystery out of all of this. So I think that's the key takeaway. And all of this stuff is very logical. It's very pragmatic. Um, the other thing I'll mention is when you develop a buyer persona, uh, we didn't talk about this. So let me just inject this here, Will, because it's an important point, mm -hmm. is that with the buyer persona, one of the things that you want to include is a lot of buyer quotes. So not only those insights that I told you about, but we we include a ton of buyer quotes because what happens is it lends such credibility to what your buyers want and need. It just unifies the organization around a set of facts, right? So your product, your marketing, salespeople, it's irrefutable. It jumps off the page in terms of 
we can't deny these are our buyers. These are the people that we want to be selling to, and this is what they're telling us. So that's a great way to unify the organization around this is what's really important to them. So that's another thing I wanted to mention that's, uh, I would say is a really important takeaway. No, definitely, definitely. It's a very pertinent point as well. Those kinds of buyer quotes can inform so much in terms of how you frame your language. So very, very important point to bring in there, Jim. Thank you very much for your time, Jim. I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit when we were first talking about this episode, I was like, oh, God, we've been doing buyer personas for ages. People can't be doing it wrong, but it makes so much sense, this approach now. So I, I found this episode absolutely fascinating. It's definitely something I'm going to look into in our own organization and have a chat with how we're developing our personas as well. So I'm, I'm sure it's been interesting to our audience as well. So thank you very much, Jim. Thanks. Well, I appreciate you having me. And well, and I want to thank the audience as well. Like as I said, really, really interesting topic. Really, really important to basically everything you do as a CMO. So yeah, thank you very much for your time, and we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating, so the whole world knows how great it was.